Right, welcome to episode 98 of the Never Iron Anything Comics Review Podcast, a podcast where myself and a regular co-host pick a comic subject and examine its history, art, writing, and possibly whether it's any good or not. This week, the return of a man who reads comics in a fever. It's only Mr. Alan Henderson. How you doing, dude? You right? Not so bad. Uh, good. Based on some of the other interactions we've had this week, I wasn't sure if you were going to call me your Rod Hull and Emu. Um... <laughs> that was quite what. What, who, is, who said that one? Was it Canon? I can't remember now. No, was... well, no, it was me. He, he was oh, yeah. saying that sometimes it, uh, he was referring to you as being uh, Parkinson, and I was thinking, well, who, who are the great Parkinson guests? Of the... the, him, oh, it's either him or Ali, yeah. isn't it? They're the yeah. two. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. So, yeah. I like watching Parkinson interviews. There's loads on YouTube, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, well, back in the day, it was, you know, pre-internet and all that. It was the way to actually get into finding out who people really were yeah you know, a good interviewer is 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 worth their, their absolute salt um, and there's always a chance someone would turn up pissed as well yes you know what and at the very end of the side that, that i might even get to a story about that oh. when, when when we get to the oh this, yeah. right well let's not hold back because i know we both we've both been sending each other stuff this week to talk about this so this is um a bit of a departure um so alan a boy oh. named alan when you're watching a man die, what what lights your burning ring? Okay, so <laughs> yeah, I wonder where you would go with some of that. that. The the over the past few few shows, we've talked about a number of things about um, diary comics and people being reverent about them, you know things they've gone through. Yeah. So I thought it was about time we actually moved to an outright biography. Okay. So the the book I've recommended to read this time was Johnny Cash, I See a Darkness by Reinhard Kleist. Originally published in German in 2006, but published in the UK and around the world in 2009 by Self Made Hero. What a fucking book. What a brilliant (laughs) book. There you go, that's the review. (laughs) I fucking love this. This led me down all kinds of alleyways, which we'll discuss, but... um, I had not. I was aware of these books because you see them, don't you? They're kind of yeah. A lot, a lot of sort of bookshops will have them facing outwards, you know, and that, or on the table or something like that. Because he's done a few. We'll talk about later. But I'd seen this and never read it. And um, I'm a I'm a Cash fan. Um, mm. I'm a fan of his from because he became cool, didn't he? At one point, Cash was Cash was very uncalled and then he became cool um, and we'll talk about that period now but I got into him um, post being into Dylan so I was a right. Bob, Bob Dylan fan in my 20s and I thought who's this fucking country dude what's this about do you know what I mean I'd always heard his name and um, yeah. and uh, Girl from the North Country is, is such an incredible song um, like a heartbreakingly good song um, it's not particularly brilliant where they, they sort of sing over each other and they don't you know they're not. They're yeah. not always. They're off. They're off on different roads occasionally during the song. But there's those two voices, man. That just broke me at the time, and and I, I got into him from then. A funny story about this. My back before he was cool. Um, my friend. Um, he divorced his wife, and one of the things she wrote in the divorce settlement or complained about him was the fact that every time she gets in the car, she puts a tape in, and there's this embarrassing country music being played, and it's embarrassing in front of her <laughs> friends. But the, which always made me laugh. But were you were you a Cash fan? Were you a Johnny Cash fan at all? Or so. So my, my introduction to Johnny Cash in terms of the music is very much um, from the American recordings and then working yeah. backwards. Okay. Or yeah. and backwards and forwards. He suddenly jumped back into our consciousness, didn't he, in the, in the 90s, well, I'm saying, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So country music as a, as a whole was never my scene. I just didn't interact right. with it at all. You know, it, it just didn't come into my, my sphere of influence. Um, so, you know, the fact that the, the American recordings were coming out and it was... You're right, it was big and it being promoted over here much in the UK than perhaps it had ever been. Because um, yeah. while he was a big name, you know, country music is still quite niche, I think, over here. Yeah, to... I'm going to say there's a couple. I'm surprised you say that. And this is the reason I say that is um, I grew up in West London. West London, when I grew up, there was um, English, um, Irish and um, 
uh, Indian Sikh Sikh guys. That was the, my sort mm. of social circle. Um, and the Irish love country music, don't they? <laughs> they fucking love it. You know, what I mean, some of the big yeah. the big name tours will go to Ireland and tour and stuff. You know, mm. and um, that spread out a little bit amongst some of my Scottish relatives as well. And um, okay. I didn't. I thought maybe it was a bit more popular up north of the border. No, you disagree with you? You know what? It, it, it just not in my okay. Yeah, yeah. Group of, of friends and, and, and interactions. So no, I, I so I, I I found them from that from the Americans piece. Went back through and then started picking up a lot of the early stuff towards you know, and eventually you end up getting all the the gospel albums and yeah. the Howman albums. Um, and you know, so I, I've ended up with, with essentially the whole back catalogue <laughs> or or as near as damn it. Um, and you know, so that it's been built from that. But no, my original introduction yeah. would certainly be the American recordings. And then realizing the influence that he had on so many other artists yeah. um, from the, you know, the, as you said, with interacting with Dylan and all that sort of stuff, all the way through to, you know, actually influencing Nick Cave as well and, and yeah. things like that. And, you know, which is very much my, my wheelhouse in terms of, of musical taste. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, country music was kind of. It was for me. It was the theme tune to the Dukes of Hazard, yeah. <laughs> which is, I think, Waylon Jennings, isn't it? Who they were like huge mates. I think they were even at Betty Ford together at one point. <laughs> um, the um, or it was just the embarrassing music that my parents used to play. You know, it was almost there were the two areas, and um, Cash was kind of a bit square maybe for me until I properly realised how good he was. I think. Well, I think the problem as well in terms of me, you're talking about the the Juice of Hazard piece there. Yeah. Oftentimes, the country music is used as a as a sort of parody to demonstrate, oh, we're in that part of America. Yeah. You know, and it, it it's like taking certain Scottish country dancing music and saying, oh yeah, that's Scottish music for you. Yeah. You know, and and saying yeah. that that's the, the so that overlaid with the fact that. In the mid to late 80s, when I would probably start recognizing some of the things, that was certainly Cash, one of his you know, lower points creatively. Um, you know, and then when, when countries did start looking back big over here, it was things like Icky Bricky Heart, and you just like go, No, no, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, you're and right, that yeah, wasn't that wasn't for me. While when you actually get into the country's scene and, and actually look at the, the influences it has with blues music and, and all that sort of stuff. There is, yeah, there's loads of amazing stuff out there. Oh, um, mate, this led me to Emily Harris, you know, Merle Haggard, the, you know, the, these, these guys are, and we will talk a lot about this, but they are storytellers. Yes. You know, to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so would brings it... us roughly back to the book. Cause yeah. that, yeah. I think one of the reasons that, that Reinhard Kleist chose to do the Johnny Cash book is entirely that it's a case of it, it's an, a nice way in by saying there are stories being told in this music therefore it's very easy to say how do you tell the stories of the music and the stories of the makers of the music yeah and there are we're going to talk about a number of ways that Kleist does it in a bit because this is cleverly constructed I think but before that what led you to this book did you see it impulse by it did you hear about it you know because you like Cash, how did it come about? So, to, no, probably not. I, was, I was, would have bought it on the basis that Self Made Hero um, put out a number of really good books. Yeah. And I remember them being at pretty early Thought Bubble and mm-hmm. having a table and having, they used to always be at Thought Bubble and have a table and have creators that they'd had over from um, primarily Europe because I think they'd, they'd, yeah, they'd they reprint a lot of Europe BD, don't a they? Lot of yeah. And, you know, and so when, you know, when you're at, a con and you're, you can say oh, look there's the actual creators there sitting behind the table and they're signing and sketching inside the book as as you go you know you say oh, i'll start buying buying the books from self-made yeah um so i i, I was you know I, I like self-made hero as, as a publisher so therefore i keep an eye out for what they put out mm-hmm. that combined with the fact that Reinhard Kloss has done a number of the gosh tipping plate versions of his book. Okay. And and certainly the version I have has a gosh tipping plate in it. Nice. So I'm I'm more than happy to buy from from Gosh or another comic shop that if they're putting that extra effort in to, into getting the signed tipping plate. Um as a you know, particularly if you don't think you're gonna get the chance to actually meet the creator. Yeah. yeah. Um 
so yeah, so that it, it was certainly a combination of that saying self-made, and by the way, gosh, you've done a tip-in plate version, and that's that's certainly what would have first made me me pick it up. Okay, um, stuff, man. So which is then on, led sorry. to buy loads of his other books. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Now I hadn't read this till I I'd seen it, and I don't know why. Sometimes I look at these series of books and think that's another hole in my wallet. If I start getting into, you know, if I start getting into that career, I can see people who say that about the Hernandez brothers, for example, or Dave Sim or something like that. They'll go, oh, if I get sucked into this, you know, it's a bit like that me. But you you've got me to buy it. And I absolutely adored this book, man. I absolutely think it's brilliant. Did you want to just because it's not. Well, Kleist himself says chronological storytelling is boring. So it's yeah. not that, is it? Did you want to give just an overview of what happens in, in it? So in, in terms of how the, the structure of the book, this, the book is actually narrated primarily by um, Glenn Shirley, yeah. who is an inmate at Folsom Prison. And if everyone who's, or anyone who has listened to the Folsom Prison album, Glenn Shirley actually writes a song that ends up being played in, in yeah. that album. So the the story is basically him retelling the stories he's heard about Cash through the newspapers and, and, and on the radio and the like, and intertwines the music that, that Cash has produced with those stories that, that he has heard. Yeah. Then there's a crescendo in the book, which is obviously the, the very famous Folsom Prison um, concert. Yeah. But the book doesn't end there, which I think is really nice. The book then goes on to basically the American recordings, which is the, the cash in his, his, his last days. Um, I found that really with, well with handled, Rick, man, those last Rick, days. I, f- I found that quiet. It, yeah, it's a, and, yeah, it's a beautiful coda to the book because yeah. it would be very, it'd be very easy, if you like, to almost finish the book with the handshake between Shelby and uh, Shelley and um, and Cash. Yeah. But it, it then just tails off. So it is this interweaving of three things by that point, where it's the the stories of Shirley being the the, the inmate, yeah. the stories of the songs, because the actual very opening sequence in the book is a, a shot of man in Reno. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, which is really because that, that just hits the ground running in terms of how the book opens, because it's it's totally silent. But and it had, as long it, as you, it had me you confused. Know, you get it. It had me mm. confused for a minute when when you open it because it opens on the sign of Reno and you think, oh, hang on, what's this? You know, yeah. And what he does, and this isn't totally typical for the book because he visualizes the songs in comic strips, and we'll get to that bit in a minute, I'm sure. But it yeah. ha- it's it is Cash who kills someone, isn't it? Um, yeah. Well, it's yeah, yeah. Ah, uh-huh. in terms of the, so it's a silent representation of that yeah. that line from the from the from the he music. Says, I killed a man just to watch him die yeah yeah, yeah shot a man yeah, yeah 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 and and so it is it is very much a case of well if johnny cash is telling the story of i shot a man in reno then yeah, why wouldn't it be johnny you know which is almost a case of it's it's, it's almost a very interpretive yeah uh, or overtly interpretive um way of writing this you know of saying well there's the lyrics here this is what it must be but as an opening to the book it gets you in and gets you going because you then understand that right this is how it's going to be told yeah these are the stories from the from the songs and the story of cash that comes with it uh, as I say, but then having the fact that because the the end of that opening sequence is obviously the character being taken into the prison which then opens up the fact that they're in the prison, so they can you know, the the Glenn turns around and says, "Oh, I've heard that Johnny Cash is coming to play." Yeah, and you know, and, and that then allows the story to be led by him. Yeah, um, which I think is a really nice narrative way of doing it because otherwise it would, would you're right, it would just be a well, here's the story beginning to end, and yeah, it, by, by making it the other character tell the story, it allows it to be jumping about a bit. Yeah, that narrative technique is really well done and it's something we see um almost like as a proto style within cash but then mm. if you go to the nick cave book um, which you also recommended i read which i've read this week it um it develops that further and be, it makes it more yeah. um more immersive into the story because the way it's done in this book is almost episodic so suddenly we'll get a moment of this song won't we and maybe for yeah. sometimes for six or seven eight nine ten pages um but within the cave book it comes through what he's doing. Often when he's writing, for example, the song will develop around him almost, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so, so within the Johnny Cash book as well, there are, he, he 
tries different art styles. Yeah. Um, particularly when he's doing some of the pieces about the the recognition of the Native Americans, um, and and actually you know tries a Native American or he, he uses a very um, more basic art style in, yes. in terms of that to to try and tell that bit of the, the again, but it's just representing the the song. While in the Nick Cave book, which we should say is actually called Nick Cave Mercy on Me, yeah, um, he he. he his 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 art style has grown quite a bit by that point. And therefore, he can actually flex it a lot more, and has a lot more different approaches with with regard to it. Yeah, yeah, you're right, man. Um, and incidentally, he was uh, Cash used to claim to be part Cherokee, and I think he he just said he'd made that up later. I think yeah. the thing the thing is with Cash, it's like you know how you and I and, and others have talked about the um um the irregular telling, and uh, you can't really stand by it. Stories of you know Jack and Stan and all these people. Um, mm. Cash is that times a thousand because he just comes up with things on the spur of the moment. I was reading um, a book a book about him this week, and it, um, even just you know the hum at the start of um, "I Walk the Line," he, he had mm. various reasons why you know during his life why he said he wanted a hum in it. Um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, but I kind of like that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit and about. That... Go on, mate. Sorry, go on. Yeah. go on. Go on. I was going to say again. That's why it's quite nice that. This is not Johnny Cash telling his story. It's yeah. somebody going, I've read this, but this thing about him in a newspaper. Therefore, it's it's already second or third hand by the time there. Therefore, when you tell it in, in, in the graphic novel, it can become the, well, this is my interpretation of what I heard that somebody else had told me. You know, and so it, it gives it that, that ability just to be off kilter and say, it's not quite right, but. Yeah, you know, it, it it's grown embellishment every time the story's been told. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's um, I don't want this to be um just about Johnny Cash because we're a comics podcast, but let's let's give a little summary of Johnny Cash's uh, life, and then that that will lead us into talking about some of the moments in the book, and also about um Reinhard as well. Um, so Johnny Cash, born the twenty sixth of February nineteen thirty two, died the twelfth of the ninth two thousand three, born Kingsland, Arkansas, seventeen time Grammy Award winner. Born into the most heartbreaking poverty, wasn't he? Which this book describes. Um, yeah. His parents were actual cotton farmers and, and lived in shacks. And I mean, there's one point in this book where they're impressed that their house has got a window. And that, that's how, you know, poor they were. Um, seen generally as a country star, but also falls into another other musical genres. So we've got rockabilly, gospel. Um, in, late, in later times, you know, folk and rock and you know there's he, there's a blurring of the lines with johnny cash i know he he turned down numerous attempts to of people to try and put him in rhinestones and you know sort of yeah. thing you know um and mostly the the fact he's um called the man in black is because he used to wear all black he didn't like the sparkle of the, the very cheesy country music scene partly at the time um and also you, you couldn't you couldn't see dirt on it because he used to spend his whole life on the road. At one point in the fifties, <laughs> he was spending almost two hundred days a year on the road playing gigs. Um, yeah, he um, was married twice: um, Vivian Liberto, and then most probably most famously June Carter. Um, he had he had a number of kids, and uh, Nick Lowe, the English singer Nick Lowe, I'm quite a fan of his as well, and the stuff he does in in the Venus Three. Um, he wrote he he married his daughter. Um, and wrote a song called "The Beast in Me" for for, um, for Johnny Cash. Um, he had um, his demons, I suppose you put it that way, as you know, most famously depicted yep. in "Walk the Line" the movie. We've you know probably a lot of us have seen it. Um, but he had he had an incredibly generous side. Um, the, the books I've read about him recently, he um, a lot of his money used to he used to give away. You know, um, he, the famously the the day he he signed with Sun Records. Um, he had fifty. He says he had fifteen cents in my pocket as I walked out the door, and he found a sort of down and out guy and gave him fifteen cents and walked on. You know, these like these moments. People have gone back and said they never saw any hobos in that area of Memphis. So to be fair, so I don't know if that's another <laughs> another cash cashism. Um, born J.R. Cash, John and Johnny were only later given to him um, for musical purposes. Um, he, as detailed in the book, drank a lot, um, took amph- um, amphetamines and barbiturates to the extreme um never actually went to prison a lot of people think he did um 
I think probably because of his songs and his sort of outlaw, outlaw reputation, but um, was he, he suddenly arrested a nights, in a cell. In yeah, jail. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 like a holding cell, isn't he? Sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, well, he actually did, um, yeah. Folsom was his first prison gig, uh, but it wasn't his first gig for prisoners. There was a, um, a sort of rodeo show that was put on that was like, a motorbike drives along a rope or there was like a, a there was like a milking competition as part of it you know like one of these sort of local county shows type thing and he actually played that um uh, so he then he, he went on to play this Folsom gig but he also did the, which was there's an audio recording and photographs of but it's San Quentin that was videoed or filmed yeah. rather so you can see the San Quentin gig and he did um, a Swedish prison called Par Osteraka in Sweden um he um Sorry, the first of those gigs that you talked about, the one that was in the country fair. Yeah. The the prisoners were meant to stay behind whatever That's fence. right, yeah. But there was a rainstorm, I believe, or something, and yeah. basically it blew out the, the amps and the yeah. mics. So basically all the prisoners came rushing forward because that was the only way they could hear him. And, like, the guards were all, you know, but it was like, no, no, he's Johnny Cash. We won't touch him type thing. Yeah. You know, it was so, he was held in high regard. Yeah, I mean... I'm almost embarrassed when I watch interviews over here with him um, because they seem to go straight to saying, oh, you were at the same recording studio as Elvis Presley. Um, mm. But, I mean, so what? He's Johnny Cash, you know. Um, did you... <laughs> now, I put in the search bar uh, on YouTube, Johnny Cash, and it came up with Johnny Cash interview, Johnny Cash live, Johnny Cash falls in prison, and then it came up with Johnny Cash ostrich. Did you look at that one at all? <laughs> No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he's on he's on Wogan, right? And he's wearing he's got he looks like he's got um a car coat on with a white shirt and he's got one of those sort of um cowboy ties on, you know? Um mm-hmm. and he looks a little bit out of it, I'll be honest with you. And he's sitting next to him is Chris Christopherson. And Chris yeah. Christopherson is clearly laughing and you can see something's going on. And it's it wasn't Wogan, it was that dude who used to run the star newspaper you occasionally used to sit in for wogan back in the day and um and somebody mentions ostrich and johnny cash says yeah 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 i had an ostrich and you see christopherson because they're big friends i mean i think they were there was a bit of rehab going on with them together at the yeah. same time you know and um he says um he says yeah he said i had a you know i decided that i got a big you know big ranch i'll have a zoo <laughs> so he got a load of ostriches and he says one day i decided to you know, walk down to the end, you know, to the road. And um, there was this ostrich in front of me. And uh, so I got in a fight with this ostrich, right? And it broke three <laughs> of my ribs. <laughs> and Christopherson is piercing himself, just like, fucking hell, here we go again, Johnny. Do you know what I mean? It's like that. And he says, the next thing you know, the family were eating ostrich for lunch. <laughs> I had to look but- at it, though. If it comes up, Johnny Cash ostrich, you've got to click on that link. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, and that's one of those stories because you are left going, is it real or has he <laughs> yeah. actually made that? Yeah, because as I, say, I, I watched the, there's an interview between Larry King and um, and, and Johnny Cash, and there, there's a bit halfway through that where Larry King goes, so how did you get the scar on your face? Right, and he goes, oh, when I, I was in the army, he goes, what, what happened? He goes, oh, I was shot. <laughs> Larry King <laughs> walks yeah. back and goes, well. We'll come back to that after this ad break, and it goes back after the ad break. He goes, "So you were shot?" And he goes, "No, it was a cyst that just got removed." And it, <laughs> but he just wound Larry King up for that. You know, that's the way to do it. There's um, there's a lot in this book that don't think you're going to get a comic, and it's going to be a complete biography. I think as well, because no, I think it captures only a certain amount. You know, yeah, I think this gives you a flavour of who Johnny Cash was. Yeah, and. <sighs> Like like so many biographies, sometimes it's a case of look the boring quiet days. You don't tell them because there's nothing to tell. Yeah, you know. So it's got to be when when something is happening, and a lot of that is probably going to be some of the dark days and and some of the you know the dark stories. There's a line quite early on in the book which which I really liked, which was the you you don't need to have um, lived harsh lived with hardship to sing country, but it helps. Right. And I think that yeah. thing runs through the book about saying, look, having hardship allows you to tell stories about uh, you know about the hardship yeah. and therefore how to how to build on from them. Um, and that that, that, that well, I agree completely with that. You know. It's the old. It's the thing I keep trotting out all the time. Do you need to fight a bull to write about it? No, of course you don't. But you need to have been in a fight properly. Do you know mm. what it takes to get a whack in the chops? Do you know what I mean? It's like uh, the life experience that he has. You, we know he was never called Sue. 
you know, we know he didn't shoot a man in Rio, yeah. you know, sort of thing. But that that his there's no there's no song singer or songwriter out there who carries the depth of emotion in his voice that Cash does. I think, which is where my interest lies in him, you know. Yeah, and I think that's and as he grew older and the, his voice got slightly weaker, but he actually managed to build the emotion within it, which is why the American recordings were oh, so good. Yeah. And Rick Rubin was was getting the best out of him at that point. Yeah. Um, There's a great, for anyone, anyone who wants to listen to it, either get the greatest hits or go straight to the American ones, because he picks some really interesting covers. It's all nearly all covers, I think. I think I'm right in saying that, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think one or two tracks were, were newish, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there's some great choices in there. Yeah, there's some other stuff they leave out. They leave out a lot of the um, other relationships he had in his life. So we stick with Vivian and June in this, don't we? Um, yeah. There was the um, the almost scandal that occurred around Laurie Collins. Um, it was the same time as Jerry Lee Lewis announced that he'd married his cousin. And then everyone discovered she was 13, <laughs> famously on a trip to England, even though she's, he said she was 15. She was actually 13. Um, and he was, uh, Cash was on tour with a girl called Laurie Collins, who was um, he would flirt with and ended up with his manager marrying her. And um, a lot of people think his manager almost took a bullet for Cash, you know? Um, yeah. In some of the interviews I've watched with him, he there's a, there's a real vulnerability to him. I sent you the Glastonbury one. Yeah, again, I, and a lot of that as well, I think, particularly with a lot of those interviews when he's getting older. And the Glastonbury one was, if you like, once he'd become cool again, as you say. Yeah. He he's settled within himself by that point. Yeah. You know, he's 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 off the drugs. He's, um, let's say, relatively clean. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think he's, you know, he, he spent a lot of time at that point looking back and going, actually, you know what? This this was a good life and 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 like and certainly in the Glastonbury interview there it he he recognises that he's the elder statesman and yeah. you know the fact that the, the crowd was still there for him was um was a big thing. I found I found that touching, man. I find the it's a great interview by the way by a proper person who knows about how to interview someone, and he says to him, you know, were you surprised? And Cash is like very honest about things. I think that's sort of. You know, we, we we laugh about his bullshitting, but in relation to a lot of stuff, he was in, incredibly honest about stuff. Um, if you look at any of the Letterman interviews, he talks about his addictions and stuff. Um, mm. But in this one, he said, yeah, he says, I was surprised. You know, and we've yeah. seen that time and time again with, you know, Dolly Parton did it a few years ago. Suddenly she was yeah. cool again. Do you remember? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And he is, um, he's such a force of nature in some of this stuff, you see. And mm. I think Kleist... I think Kleist captures it. Do well, the you? one thing that Kleist does really well, and it's, I think it's, it's, it's all to do with the fact, I think I'm, I'm going to suggest that most of this is done with a brush pen. Yeah. Kleist does a very Because he likes broken brushes, doesn't he? That's what yeah. I saw him saying in this view. Yeah. 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 Um, but he's got a very kinetic art style. Yeah. And throughout, certainly throughout his younger period, Johnny Cash is, you know, partly because of the, uh, the various amphetamines, is on the go all the time. And yeah. therefore, the the art style here has a lot of movement in it and has a lot of life and dynamism. Yeah, yeah it really does. Yeah. I then think really works when, because there's this weird thought process of saying, you know, if here we are doing an audio medium talking about a visual book, yeah. but the visual book is actually discussing an audio output yes. so how does how does the book display the music and i think what kleist is really good at both in in the music books that he's done and in the books that he's done about boxers where he's yeah. actually he captures motion really well in, yeah. in terms of um actually making you think it's happening oh man it's so good it explodes off the page it i just mm. i love the strength of those inks absolutely totally yeah and you're right about that how do you represent music it ain't easy we had a big chat of it about it on the slack this week didn't we That's yeah i posed the question it's not an easy thing to represent yeah so i think that that's where where Kleist really comes into his own with, yeah. with this as i say creating that that movement and creating that that life on the page so you can actually say well there's rhythms here in the music oh man taking yeah the, you've got uh, rhythm the, 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 my favorite i'm sorry i'm i'm quite excited yeah. about this one but my favorite <laughs> my favorite one i 
I had an earworm of Jackson for a week after reading that scene, and I hadn't listened yeah. to the song for years. But there's a, there's a moment in it. He does it in different ways. He portrays the music in different ways. Like you say, we've got this sort of indigenous people, Native American style yeah. drawing at one point. It's almost like yeah. um, it's it's off, you know, the side of a teepee almost, isn't it? It's that sort of look to it. Um, but he so he does it in different ways. Like you say, the one at the start, which is actually he portrays. Um, uh, Cash himself was shooting the man in Reno. But in this one, this is more based on reality, and I don't know whether this happened or not, but him and June Carter are in this... They were both married at the time. Um, they were both flirting with each other. But, you know, they're clearly in love with each other, and they write a song at the counter in a diner, which is Jackson. And it's yeah. um, We Got Married in a Fever. And as soon as they said... We've got And there's this joy in their faces. that I couldn't get the song. I hadn't listened to it. I couldn't get the song out of my head. <laughs> Because it's so well done, it's so touching, it's so lovely, it's so, it's like watching a scene in a really good old school musical where they start singing. You know, it's a bit like that, yeah. isn't it? You know, yeah, love that man. Yeah. So, because the the other one I think is 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 really good in terms of how how they actually portray this the song without actually knowing the song. Yeah. Is actually the the very very ending. Oh uh, yeah. It's writers writers in the sky. Yeah. Um, and it's you know that where because that's almost one of the ones where you need to know the back catalogue a little bit to, you yeah. know, to say, oh, this is what the song is going to be. Yeah, they, I mean, um, it's a big song. It's a very popular song, but it's not not yeah. a go-to for us, is it? I would say, that song. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as you get into it, you, you say, all right, you know, and it's, it's all the, the buffalo running across the sky, and the, you know, the, the, the riders chasing it and, and Cash watching it, and the riders basically saying to him, come and, come and join us, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's another one where it's capturing that really, really tightly. And but again, there's because you've got this motion of the the animals running across, and and then suddenly the stillness of him looking or imagining himself sitting on a horse uh, as an old you know he's an old man watching himself sit on a horse. Yeah. Um, that 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 balance of play is just really good in terms of the piece. Yeah, it really is, man. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Kleist. He was born um, the 11th of February 1970 in Hurst in Germany. He studied graphic design at the, I'm going to fuck this up, Faschelochschule in Munster. He then moved to Berlin because that's where all the cool kids go, in it, Berlin? You know, especially yep. back then. Um, he um, often lends his work to biographical comics in, you know, in their nature. So we've had one of Elvis, we've had Castro, we've had um, uh, De Boxer, which is uh, Jewish boxer Harry Haft. Um, there's uh, one about a Somali runner, uh, Samir Youssef Omar, The Dream of Olympia. Um, the His art, there's there's only a couple of interviews you can find that are in English with him, um, although he speaks English fine, you know, he speaks much better mm. English than I speak German. But his, um, I'm, I find that his work has um, an influence of the black and white German expressionism um of you know movies i think maybe because of the black and white the very striking clean black and white that he uses it often um um maybe the maybe some woodcut enric haeckel and franz mesriel i looked up um yeah. it is very in, in there's a instinctual um brute you i almost have this vision of him just like going at a page you know he's not clinical he's not you know yeah, and I think that's where I'm saying that the word that kept coming back to me was kinetic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean in, in terms of who he's quoted as his heroes, in one of the interviews he was talking about the fact that he's very influenced by both McKean and, and Sienkiewicz. Oh, really? Okay. Which right. I can see, actually I can see a lot of the McKean in it, in, in, certainly in, in, the, yeah. in the cash book, where it, it not so much the collective art style that McKean goes with, but that I'm just going to throw this down and... And, you know, and be with the brush pen and go after, you know, say, there's the figure. Yeah. Um, and which, you know, if you've, if you've ever seen McKean with the brush pen, that's what he does. Um, so I think there, there, there's, that's the sort of comic art side of things. And it was a case of he wanted to go down the comic route because he, he went to, to college to do more of a the fine art approach and right. then knew that comics are actually where his first love was. And that's why he, you know, basically forced his... Um, his academics to go down down that side he's pretty um, prolific as well man i was surprised to see how many books he's done there's a lot there aren't there for yeah i think it's this classic one for us where you know this is an artist who clearly has a big european back catalog yeah big chunks of which have never been brought over into um into english and therefore we don't get the chance to 
you know, either find it or um, even if you can't find it, read it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's only and... in, it's not on Comixology. It's in French on Comixology. It's not in English on Comixology, um, interestingly enough. Um, right. I, again, that might be who who has the the right the digital to rights on, yeah. on on Comixology, um, because obviously it's the the originals are all published by I want to say Carson. That yeah, right? I did make a note of this, and it was uh, uh, yeah, Carlson Verlag. Carlson. Yeah, Carlson yeah. Verlag. Yeah, in two thousand six. So, um, but there's been loads since they, then, they, isn't there as well? You know. Yeah, and again, I think Self Made Heroes also got the relationship with. That other company with you know to, yeah. to actually publish in in English and, and interpret, and um, because they've they've done, uh, as I say, they've done the Cash book, they've done uh, Castro, they they did the uh, Bowie book recently, the, I think as well. Is the, that the right? Boxer one, yeah. yeah. And there was a second, the second Boxer one as well that's just come out. That's um, right. About yeah. Emil Griffin, which I have but have yet to read. Um, all as I say, and all of which are you know. It, it, you can see his stylism, you know. So the the, the cash book is the originally came out in two thousand six in in the German. Yeah. Um, I think two thousand nine when it came out in the UK. Yeah. But since then as well, I think with each of the books as well, his art, you know, it, uh, the more you do, you more the better you get. Yeah, it develops, uh, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's the plot. Like yeah, yeah. You know, it's about finding finding your feet and finding your place. So there there's there's certainly something to that with him. I would. I actually have met him. Oh right. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. At the Edinburgh Book Festival. Oh nice. Um, he was at the Edinburgh Book Festival and did a, a presentation of that, and um, so I got one of the. Um, I think I got the boxer actually signed. Oh nice. Um, which was nice. Um, in, the, in, the, in the days when we had an Edinburgh Book Festival that, that <laughs> yeah. was able to have people at it, maybe next year, yeah. hopefully. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, not the first Comic Con. Um, I think there's um, a, a misleading title. Says for the first comic representation of Johnny Cash or something. Actually, <laughs> not. Uh, it was um, the one came out um, a comic biography of the man from Spire Christian Comics in the seventies, and was uh, drawn by a guy called Al Hartley, who drew one Thor and he drew some Patsy Walker, uh, and then he went on to do quite a lot of Archie stuff because yeah. he was a staunch Christian. Um, the Guardian review says that Kleist. Um, only displays cash in his punk role and not in his um, sort of frock coat and bow tie phase and says that the book is, um, to quote them, outlaw worshipping. That's an interesting well, angle. I'm not sure I felt that. I, th- I don't know. I didn't take that from it, but actually, yeah. if it probably is, but okay. that's because... The narrator of the book is the prisoner inside the you know, inside Folsom. So therefore, that that prisoner is is looking for um, somebody who is uplifting, but in his who think, know, in he his thinks book. understands him. Yeah, maybe. So yeah. that would that would be the you know that that's here. He's looking for the outlaw. He's not looking for the lounge singer. Yeah. He's not really look, actually because Glenn Shirley does have a a, a strong christian background as well so he's looking for a little bit for the the gospel background that um that cash produced um so i i, I don't mind it saying yes this is you know a, a biography is never going to cover everything yeah or if it does it's going to end up with a lot of boring bits in it oh, as mate. well oh mate i've read i would not, i've read a book on you know, I wouldn't, neil, neil young that's 800 pages long do you know what I mean? it's like yeah. that most of it's boring you're right completely yeah, yeah. it doesn't touch um, on the hollywood stuff either it doesn't touch on the johnny cash show which was quite a groundbreaking music show at the time yeah. it doesn't touch touch on his film stuff so he did i think was it called 500 seconds to live or some it was apparently terrible um it doesn't mm-hmm. touch on his appearance on uh what was the detective? He was on Columbo, wasn't he? Have you ever seen the Columbo <laughs> episode he's in? <laughs> Everybody genius. was in a Columbo episode yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it doesn't touch on that. There's a few things it doesn't touch on that. Because you're right, man, though, because it's coming from this attitude of um, Glenn Shirley. Um, yeah. Who, let's, let's, I looked up Glenn Shirley just out of interest, so I thought, he's the he's the narrator, let's look at him, You know, see what, yeah. what he would have been. So he was born in 36 in Gonzales in California. As a youth, he, he was in, like, he was just in trouble all the time actually whilst in youth detention actually managed to break out of the prison he was like cash um a troubled man um 
after Cash performed his song at Folsom Prison, he was because he was surprised. He didn't know it was happening. He'd sent it in, and this is well done in the comic, isn't it? He sends this, yeah. this, this recording in, and um, Cash says, "This is what we need. This is exactly what we need for the." And he and Cash learns it overnight, and then plays mm. it. And then they fame. There's this famous where he reaches into the crowd, and shakes his hand. Um, but when he left prison, Cash looked after him. So he 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 sort of he would tour with Cash. Um, and well, Cash... Cash got him out of prison early. Yeah, that's Cash, right. Yeah, because you know, yeah. it was a case of if you're going to be working with Johnny Cash, uh, then then you can leave. You get early parole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, was this did go on for a while, and there's there's a couple of TV performances um, of Glenn Shirley you can find. I think one one is on the Johnny uh, on the Johnny Cash show. Um, his um, he he became quite threatening to members of the crew and stuff, <laughs> and. Um, in later years, he sort of seriously, his life, he lost himself completely. And his drug and drinking got out of control. Um, and he ended up living in the front of a car whilst working on a ranch or something, I think. And in May 1978, he shot a man. And um, uh, and then he shot himself. Um, but Cash yeah. paid for the funeral, interestingly. Which is mm. quite, quite, quite a nice little thing. And the song Greystone Chapel um, endures. And it was in the soundtrack to that uh, movie, The Book of Eli. Which I haven't seen, but I would watch. Yeah, yeah, I keep meaning to watch that. Yeah, it's quite a. Um, he was quite a character as well. And when you see him, he's got that sort of. You can tell he's been. He's got that sort of wizened grey pallor about you know of, of a person who's been to prison, and but he's still got that sort of rockabilly haircut and stuff, which would, you know, which they, I mean they were the kind yeah. of the punks at the time, you know, for their for their. Yeah, he's quite an interesting guy. Any particular sequences in this man you want to talk about? Any little so pages on? The, the- there was one sequence I wanted to talk about because yeah. it does that doesn't relate to the music and doesn't okay. you know, but I think is a is it a really is um so on page hundred and four or starts on page hundred and forty four. Okay. So basically he goes cold turkey to uh, or it's, it's you know, forced to come off the, the amphetamines. And there's this three page scene of of him basically going through withdrawal. Um, which is somewhere between the sort of train spotting scene of, of cold turkey, but combined with a scene from Watchmen, if you like, because yeah. it's it's yeah. the fact it's it's his he, he's rising up out of the the bed or or his astral projection is, but it's just nothing but the um, the nervous system that's there, and it's the fact that the nervous system's got all these thorns being attached into it and attacking it yeah um and for just a, a very very short sequence of going you know i've got two pages to demonstrate you know cold turkey coming off addiction i just thought it was a really interesting piece in the book that was you know completely different from the way that any of the other songs or anything else was was portrayed yeah, it's a really beautiful moment that yeah and it's really well done it's almost like his nervous system is removed from his body and is floating above him and yeah. yeah, just just really beautiful. You're right. It's like that Watchmen moment, isn't it? When he reforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond that, I think the other thing that's really good is is which is on page, uh, let's call it seventy one, seventy two, which is the a boy named Sue storyline. <laughs> yeah, where he, you can actually see he's deliberately made his drawing style slightly more cartoony. Yeah, or cartoonish at that point. Um, and the, the fact he's gone, look, this is a comedy song, so she presents yeah. it a little bit more comedic art style and that's just a really sort of nice nice touch right interestingly a um, uh, little side note here a boy named sue is one of the two paying gigs i've ever performed um <laughs> so i may have been in the back of a taxi a little bit drunk um and we all had guitars and um I, somebody said oh let's play some johnny cash so i knew this one off by art um and i played the johnny cash song and we got out of the taxi and i went to pay and the dude went no 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 not after that, that's great. <laughs> so I technically I I claim that as a paying gig, um, and it's a great song. And that bit at the end where he shouts, um, um, you, about his name, I'm not going to call my kid. I'm going to call it William or George. You know that bit. I just love that bit. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And for me, one of my favourite bits is the um, the meeting with Dylan mm. on page 101. And I've seen some criticism of this to say that doesn't look like Dylan. It looked like Dylan straight away to me. I don't know what's wrong with people. Um, there's a couple of moments in, in it where I think he maybe has sampled some pictures of Dylan from later in his life. Um, but the dialogue for me is what, what pins it down. And um, Dylan keeps opera offering Cash um, a joint. Now, they were they were co- they corresponded um, mm. 
for many years before they met and they ended up being next door neighbors um in um where was the big american festival during hippiedom um Woodstock? Woodstock, yeah. They both lived next to, next door to each other in Woodstock, believe it or not. Um, and they were, they were big friends. And there's this moment that epitomises it where he offers him a joint and Johnny Cash says, it ain't for me, it makes me slow. And mm. he says, um, would, would do you some good. You can't sit still mm. for five seconds. And he says, I'm like a shark, I've always got to be moving. Yeah. And Dylan says, the main thing is that you ain't no condor. Then you got to send on the way to Eternal Rest because there's a story about him killing a condor. Um and then he says, you want to keep drawing or you want to play some music? And yeah. what what they do throughout this is um, the music, It's a, we're used to seeing music like in Josie and the Pussycats or in Mary Jane dancing around in her go-go boots. The music is almost done with musical notes around it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's almost like a, mm-hmm. from, from a piece of you know, music on the sheet music. But in this, um, it's almost like sheets of paper flying through the air. I was going to say he, he has a particular speech bubble style that he yeah. uses when it's when he's presenting music uh, or presenting um, lyrics being sung at least. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the because there's a strength there as well that it, it, he only does that for the lyrics. There is two or three scenes, whether it's the very beginning with Reno, the end, or the the, the Native American scene, where it you know it's a case of this is musical, but I'm actually giving you no representation of it whatsoever. Yeah. But, because of the way the pictures are presented, and if you know, I, I must admit, I don't know how this would read for somebody who had heard none of his music. Yeah, that's a strange one. That's a you good know, point. I'm not sure either. Yeah, cert- there are certain bits of this I was reading, and you're right. Your mind just immediately plays the soundtrack in your head. Yeah. Um, if you don't know the songs, that's perhaps a lot more difficult, and then you perhaps don't pick up on some of the nuances that come with that. But I don't think this is meant as a book to say to people. You know, this is who Johnny Cash is. You really should go and find him. I think this is more, is more of a book for people. Where you're like going, look, the, you. This is very reverential to Johnny Cash. So it's not well. I say reverential. It's still warts and all. Yeah. Um. But it's it's a case of you know, if you like Johnny Cash, you'll like this. And by the way, it's a really good trigger for making you remember things that you've forgotten. Yeah. It's exactly your point about Jackson. Yeah. Where, oh man. Still now. You know that that is a you know. It would be interesting to see how somebody would react to reading that scene never having heard the song. Because they wouldn't immediately have it running in their head, as you say. So Maybe um, it's a little dry without that. Because it's mm. a couple who are flirting with each other, singing at each other in a bar. And for people who are picking up Johnny Cash's book, they want him crashing cars and punching people, don't they? And throwing mic stands about. uh, Yeah, I just kind of like... I'm I'm an old softy. I like that. I, I just... I felt bad for his first wife, but I knew that June, you know, June Carter was going yeah. to be the lover of his life, you know. And yeah, it's it, a lot of what he does plays in Cash's face, doesn't it? Cash has got this great boat race, and he he really has, and you it, have it to helps, capture but, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it makes him very recon- You're talking about the Dylan not being recognisable. I actually can understand. To me, the the Dylan representation actually looks like an actor playing dylan okay <laughs> that, right. you know what I mean? so if you're watching all right does dylan appear and walk the line in a movie that's an interesting question i can't remember, I can't remember but actually. Yeah. you know it's a case of if somebody had played him in that you would immediately go oh yeah he's playing bob dylan yeah so to me it's just oh there's somebody playing bob dylan i think what is it is is he's captured no problem at all yeah i get you he's captured he's used a couple of stills there's a couple of faces of dylan in that there because I spent my life googling Bob Dylan, obviously, but I I, I recognise as being photographs I've seen. There's one where he's almost like looking down, but looking then his eyes are going up, and I've seen that before, and that is from later. That's from much later, post the you know air quotes motorcycle crash and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but beyond Dylan, Cash has got such an intensity to his face, and he's all this mm. brooding intensity. Mm. Even with a big fucking plaster across his face, you feel that dude's power. <laughs> there's um, there's a quote from Letterman where he's interviewing Waylon Jennings and um, Johnny Cash on his show, and he says, "I saw you come in earlier with with your on." He didn't say entourage, but he meant entourage. He says, "Yeah, that was quite something, you know." And and Cash says, "Oh, it was nothing," and and like. Cash has just walked in with a couple of dudes, and he's a big fucking eat. Cash, he's like yeah. he's got a presence about him, and he's, they've walked down the corridor, and, and even Letterman's gone fucking hell. What am I in for now? You know, yeah, I love that about him. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Good. And the other thing we haven't mentioned, man, which we need to mention is is um, Clyde's use of rain, um, which is an, in, a, a recurring theme. It's in it's in here to great effect, and it's different and but equally as well done, if not better, I would say in the cave book. Um, yeah. So um, in in for those who don't know, people. they were flooded out as a family earlier in their lives, and that's where that song, you know, three feet and rising, and then it goes five feet and rising, and but so he has to, they have to catch this sort of torrential rain, and there's uh, page twenty and twenty one, um, is so beautiful, I just love it, almost to the point where the car has a face driving through the rain, it's almost like a Pixar Cars moment, but with a, you know, punk twist to it, it's just beautiful, mm-hmm. um, yeah, very very good. Um, and you, in the, did you want to mention the cave book? Because it rains on him, doesn't uh, it, in the house? In that I, I was going to say, so the Nick Cave book, we'll, we'll be brief about that. Cause yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. But now the Nick Cave book, so I'm a, I'm a huge Nick Cave fan. Seen him several times. I even had one of his songs as a reading at my wedding. Oh, um, nice. And the, the Nick Cave book is, is one of these, you know, if you, if you don't want to know... The bad stories about your heroes don't read the nick cave book <laughs> right okay um, where, where you think it's you know cash has had some some hard times yeah the the heroin scenes of um of, of nick cave in in berlin are you know it, it they're, they're mixed through with the fact that that leads to a lot of the dynamic punk element that he had when he was in the birthday party yeah and you know the the again back to that whole kinetic and dynamic art that gets drawn around with that and there was there was a, an image that you shared in, in one of the groups about that yeah. where it was just came being alive but that then intertwined with some of the stories that, that nick cave tells through through his music things like moving to the you know the ship song and and the you know the where the boats are all going and all that you know it's it is a an amazing way of saying these are the stories i've told so those stories are reflective of my you know how how do you intertwine my life with the stories i'm telling yeah and he takes nick cave through the stories he's told and telling nick cave's life with it um which which makes for for a really interesting sort of mix he does it it's more um, done as chapters um so that you can can break it up um it, it does get to the to the right right hand and, and all that sort of stuff okay. um which he, is he talks a lot about um his his aim is to portray transformation through music i heard a quote from mm. him and he does that very well in cash but he does it better in cave i think um, yeah he does it in a number of ways this the, the the stage stuff in i don't know if it, it just seems closer this is sort of closer to cl- the camera's closer to the the image in a way on the page yeah um but um there's a lot of really really interesting portrayals of stage performance in little dirty old clubs in berlin and london and stuff in yeah. in caves and there and that that one panel of him throwing the mic i just yeah you know, it's just so good that's how you show a gig you know it's a shame yeah. kids don't know about gigs anymore do they you know it's a shame <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I see. Nick Cave of the Bad Seeds is the best best gig I've ever been to. Nice. Um, Good work, man. So yeah, um, I'm, I came to him very late. Actually, I didn't come to him till I think Dig Lazarus Dig. I think is the first album I bought, which is much much later. Um, I found Nick Cave through the X Files. There you go. Oh right, okay. Um, the X Files released an album, or the, the which was songs inspired by the, or songs related to the X Files. I think it was actually yeah. called Songs in the Key of X, <laughs> and. Um, Red Right Hand was on that. Hmm. Everyone thinks that's all to do with Peaky Blinders, but no, no, it's it's long, much further back. Uh-huh. Um, and and it's weird. Red Right Hand has appeared in the X number of movies and films and stuff. It's really funny. So that then I was like, oh, I must find it more about who this is. Really like that track. And yeah, everything uh-huh. that's that, that 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 comes from that. Oh, nice. Um, it's 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 interesting. Um, he's he's so interesting because he has. He's he's across so much. Um, also, if you Google Warren, Warren Ellis, isn't Warren Ellis his guitarist yeah. or his bass player? I think is that right? Um, yeah. he's the, he plays the violin. Violin. Uh, right. Simon Warren Ellis are actually when they when they write soundtracks, it's the two of them together rather than the full band. I get you. So. Yeah, yeah. No, gorgeous stuff, man. Absolutely brilliant. I think the other the other theme I had written down was um, rebirth. I think um, rebirth through life, and the, there's the, there's the very. Um, uh, moment where he walks into the cave and comes out you know so it's almost like mm. this because he was a huge all the way through his life he was a huge christian 
um mm. cache and there's that going into it was almost like 40 days and 40 nights in the you know in the desert yeah. was this this cave he goes into which is beautifully done and i've never seen a page so covered in ink where you can't see what's going on at all to be so interesting you know this <laughs> this book really had me gripped yeah yeah an absolutely brilliant choice man um yeah really good i just wanted to i wanted to ask you this uh, i'll spring this one on you a bit actually but if you could have kleist because he's done a lot of musicians you if you could have kleist do a band or a musician who would it be if you could choose his next project who would you choose i'm going to shall i jump in with mine while you think yeah I'll go. Uh-huh. um now i'm not i'm not a wanker for saying this and i i kind of like them but oasis i think there's if there's a band who have some great faces um they, that he could use and also have got an interesting history um i think not not for everyone's taste but currently well, you've all tapped your foot a bit to something haven't you you know i think yeah. that would be a good one and it's also a, a group where a lot of there's a lot of people out there who would know the lyrics if he if he does the same with this you know so my my first one, which I knew wasn't right, was going to actually be sort of Queen and Freddie Mercury. But, okay, and, yeah. Cause, cause I don't I, need a comic. Think, You've done a comic. That's fine. We don't need a comic. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, I think the, the more interesting one actually for, for Kleist might actually be Paul Weller. Because okay. I think there's yeah. you, you've got the sequences there of going the jam, which was different from Style Council, which is different from the solo career and becoming the mod father and, and where he is now. Yeah. I think there's, there's Paul Weller has a, um, there, there are many faces of Paul Weller. So you could say, you know, the book would have the opportunity to, to explore that. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, um he's got quite the boat race as well, isn't he? Paul Weller, you know, certainly no. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, he looks like his hair's floating above his head. A bit, mm. like but yeah, yeah, he's he's another one you could you could put you know the jam in there and people would know going underground yeah. and you know whatever. It is. Exactly. Oh, there's exactly. some rock. Yeah, he could really play with some of the the lyrics, you know, with mm. that, couldn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Eating so rifles. Yeah. yeah, there's all sorts of things going on there, isn't there? Yeah, that's entertainment. It incidentally, was part of one gig I paid. I got paid for. There you go. Good. <laughs> um, Good stuff, man. And the other thing we were going to just mention, um, we were going to talk about a couple of other favourites. If you want, if you had a couple to name, a couple of favourite biographies that you've read over yeah. the years. So, so I did mention earlier on we were talking about somebody being drunk on uh, on Wogan or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. in, in terms of one of the biography books, that I think is really good and is actually worth picking up is is Hellraisers, um, oh, by yes. Robert Sellers and Jake. Um, so it's not a full biography of, of people, but it tells stories of Richard Burton, Peter O'Toole, Richard Harris, and Oliver Reed. Right. So right. obviously yeah. that, that that entirely goes down. That. So that that that's a really good one. Um, and the other ones that I I sort of noted down here, there's a few by Box Brown. Uh, he does an Andre the Giant. Oh, book. I did, didn't I? I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. He did a book about um, Alexei Parjanov, and everyone goes, "Who's Alexei Parjanov?" Well, he's the person that invented tetris ah of course he did yeah um, yeah so the book's <laughs> actually called tetris so they're they're both really good um and then the last one that is it's autobiographical but is actually dark knight a true batman story which is actually written by paul dini now the arts oh, oh yes about the robbery or something is that yeah right? so yeah. this is this is about the fact that, that paul dini is basically mugged and it, it's it, it, that causes him to turn in on himself and and it's how his work with Batman, the animated series actually brought him back out to be, you know, to be a stronger person again. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's probably different to take as a, as a Batman book. Um, but it is, as I say, it's, it's autobiographical by, by Paul, Paul Dini. Good work, man. I've got, just got a couple. The Twilight Man by Corin Shadmi from Humanoids. And it's the story of Rod Serling. Um, he, he obviously includes his work on the Twilight Zone. Um, and everything else he did, he was described as the angry young man of television, um, and it, it was quite a watershed moment, um, almost, ladies and gentlemen, for what we call now the showrunner, which seems a bit of a pretentious title that they give to people now, rather than just calling them producers. But the um, yeah, he was that's a, quite entertaining, and uh, he was quite the womanizer, quite the dude. Um, and there's um, one called Philip K. Dick, a comics biography, written by Laurent Casey and art by Mauro Marchesi. Um, I think it's by NBM, um, and it's an interesting one. It looks, it's almost like a, 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 a it's like someone's held Klaus back a bit, you know, is it that sort of flat <laughs> colour, suburban banality, but something else is going on, and it goes through this sort of suburban banality of 
Philip K. Dick as he sort of he became a bit madder in his later life. I'm a fan of Dick's writing, and but there's all this, these moments of like boom, there he is, he's fucking off his nut and he's dreaming about science fiction books and stuff. And it's a nice another nice little hardback produced by NBM who do some nice stuff like that. They do a lot of translations as well. They're one of those companies that we seem to go to, you know, a bit like Titan. Like you say, a bit like self-made hero. Um, Nobody yeah. do the same. Where we're they're going to that tent at Angoulême, aren't they? And they're buying the you know they're getting offered or buying these books that are um, are coming to us. And uh, there's some of there's some that's some of the stuff that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, really good. Good stuff, man. Oh, and the other one is East West. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, East West, written yeah. by Pierre uh, Pierre Christian, who was um, an art by Philip Amond, and it's a biography of Pierre Christian, who um, was obviously the creator of um, well co-creator of um, Valerian Laureline. Uh, along with Jean Claude Meziers, um, and that's quite that's a beautiful book, and that's out of um, Europe Comics. You can find that. You probably find that in a sale anytime soon. But yeah, so it's quite a, quite a pretty book about his travels and Ooh. where he wrote and what he wrote and stuff. Yeah, very good. Good stuff. Look at us. Look at that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely fucking spot on. An hour. How did we do that? Um, so I'll get to ask you about yourself now. So what what you got going on at the moment? Man? So you, <laughs> we're um, we're thought bubbling, aren't we? Fingers crossed, eh? Fingers crossed. All all being well. Yes, yeah. I've um, I've got the paperwork I need. I've um, I've ordered. I've got myself a visor now as well because I know we need to wear a mask. <laughs> but I actually think if you're going, hey, you're one of those old lady visors, have you? Well, would you rather buy something from somebody <laughs> who's smiling at you or not? That's you know, do your pick. Um, <laughs> I'll have masks and visors available. Just to, you know, what oh, we need some penguin masks. That's what we need. I, well, I, I, let me share you with them later. Are they already exist? I'll do it. I'll um, do it. <laughs> I only got them for personal. I didn't get them for, 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 for sale. Yeah. For yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Such a brand. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, go for it. The, uh, yeah, so I'm preparing for that. Um, and the, the daily strips continue. Yeah, um, very good. I've been enjoying them again. I, yeah. Um, I, th- I think I've got myself decided as to what the title for the next book will be. I just need to work out the timings for that. Okay. So do you think you're going to you're going to kickstart that this year, or are you going to aim for early next year, or what's the plan? Well, it's that, it's that weird balance about do I force it through and get it done in time for have the kickstart all finished and out the door pre thought bubble, or oh yeah, uh, yeah, which, which, it's which close approaching. Mean, yeah, exactly. And it's that whole thing. I, I refuse to do a Kickstarter and not have it sent to everybody before the before the book appears at a con. Agreed, right? man. I'm, yeah. I'm one of those people. Yeah, um, quite right, too. Yeah. And so, so therefore, it is that. Do you have a Kickstarter running while you're at Thought Bubble? That doesn't feel right. And I don't really want to run a Kickstarter in December. So I can see... The, the way that you know there's there's a good chance that will probably just be the beginning of next year in terms of, of okay. when it actually runs just because yeah we're not um, under any pressure are we we just no. do it for fun let's face it <laughs> yeah and a small margin on our tax returns that's about it isn't it, well, you know? it, it exactly <laughs> i kind of need thought bubble to be marginally successful to make enough room for whatever stock comes in from yeah i get you <laughs> yeah just from a storage perspective in the garage. What about any other um, cons? Have you got any? I know Nottingham's just cancelled, isn't it? I think we, all of us who were in the know, knew that that was going to happen. I think we I talked did, about yeah. it at Drink and Draw with was, with um, no Kel, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that, that's unfortunate, but understandable. And, and and you know, so I might pop down just for a viewing at, at Kendall um, for okay. the lakes. Con. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether I go the Saturday or Sunday will probably be dependent on the weather yeah. rather than anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, for, for wandering around um meanwhile is just too far away from me um, uh, totally to man it's, it's, it's as much as i'm looking true. forward to it it's untested as well so people say to me oh should i pop down at canon was saying to me so i come down from scotland mm. i said mate it'd be lovely to see you but i don't want you to come down and just be like super because i don't know how good it's I... going to be especially in this this um i'm you know i'm, I'm pumping for it you know i'm yeah. retweeting and hoping it's going to be brilliant but i'm you know i can't put my finger on it and say it will be you know I think as well, the, the, the real thing that I, I'm keeping an eye on is obviously there's going to be lots of things learnt at both Meanwhile and the Lakes. And I don't mean by the organizer, or partially by the organisers and partially by the people buying the table. They're just going to, you know, you're going to learn tricks and things, you know, yeah. about, and, and, that, and it, it's going to be picking up what people have learnt, what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, and, I think and things people like need that. to start sharing that, don't they? I'm hoping there's going to be things I learned at Thought Bubble, things, sorry, things I learned at the Lakes that then people will put on their social media and it will translate into stuff that, you know, will probably happen, fingers crossed, yeah. if Thought Bubble happens, you know. 
you know, it's like, oh yeah, have the following things or have not with you that you've never had previously or make sure you carry one of the, these things with you. Know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's going to, I, I don't know what it's going to be. If I knew what it was, I wouldn't be saying I had to learn it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So no, I think there's 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 a lot of that to come. Um, but beyond that, no, I the, the next thing I'll be looking at after Thought Bubble is until April of next year, which is when um, when Edinburgh should the Edinburgh Con should fall. Okay. Um, all being well, um, we'll, we'll, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah, sorry. When did you <laughs> say the Edinburgh was? I missed that bit. I think it's April. Oh, okay, I'll come up for that. Oh, that sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Maybe. So yeah, that's um, when's the Edinburgh? Because the Edinburgh Film Festival and the festival are now separate, aren't they? Um. um I don't know about that actually. Yeah, well, they I, certainly I were in 2012, 2013. Maybe right. not now, but yeah, yeah. Just wonder if it's around the same time. This has been the best festival year in in many many a year. I have to tell you that as, a, as a, <laughs> somebody who lives just at home, uh, being able to go into town and wander around and not have oh. not have to walk over leaflets that have been thrown down all over the place. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, and, I've done uh, it a few uh, times. Your elbows out. My last um, my last holiday with my son, you know, before he became too old to go on a holiday with his boring dad, um, was the uh, the Edinburgh Festival, and um, he loved it. And his dad was a bit of a grump. I think, oh, let's put it that way. Mind you, he managed to bump into some uni friends. So that was quite nice. But yeah, I can see it. I can see him. Christ, if it was, it was in my local town, it would annoy the shit out of me. Yeah. Improv in the street. I'll do fuck off. You know? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Well, I met you at it. We met, didn't we? That's was that, we was that the we one met. where where we went to the where we you went, and I went to the mosque we went to the mosque to get a quiet cup of tea didn't we god that was a nice that was a fucking genius idea wasn't it yeah don't, <laughs> don't tell Frank Miller but we went to the mosque because <laughs> <laughs> it was really yeah it was really quiet and, and yeah we had a nice chat yeah, yeah I'd cut down on the swearing a bit that yeah, was good uh, yeah so, yeah my boy um, went off and saw a comedy show while we were there that's right just across yeah. the road, yeah, that's right. You sent him off for that, and you said, we, I'm, and we met up beside you. Yeah, that's it, Bob. that's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good stuff, happy. man. So where can people find you online? You want to find me online, um, either at Shadow1972, or just look for the Penguin uh, anywhere, which is P-E-N-N-E-D-G-U-I-N. Good stuff, man. You can find me at patreon.com forward slash tribute press um, or neverironanything.com. Um, the, for the Patreons, the, if, if you're on the physical tier, the, uh, the second issue of Flesh and Ink goes out next week, so you'll be getting that through your door. Thanks, Al. We'll have a chat in a second about the next one. Um, see, what you got, cool. see what you got on your mind. Good stuff, man. See you, see you in a bit. See you soon.